There has never been a more important time to make a difference and create better lives. I'm Andrew Liveris, former Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of the Dow Chemical Company and the former Executive Chairman of Dow DuPont. In this podcast series, you'll hear from one of our Liveris Academy scholars interviewing a leader they identified as being important to them. I'm Megan Jones, a Liveris Academy Scholar. Today, I'm going to be talking to Leela, a UQ graduate who works with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, a leading innovator in the circular economy space. Welcome, Leela. Hi. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation? Yeah, sure. Well, I might start back in my childhood because that's actually where it all starts in terms of ending up at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. I grew up in Margaret River in Western Australia, so a small coastal town, you know, with a family that was very interested even back then in sustainability. My dad built an electric car when I was quite young and we had our own rainwater tank and, and a big vegetable garden. And I think from a pretty young age that instilled in me obviously a respect for nature, but also, you know, having this technical side coming in. So, so with dad being quite technically minded an electric car, really in an interest in how we could combine taking care of the natural environment and respecting what it's giving to us whilst at the same time still looking at how we produce a modern society and, and all of the comforts that we enjoy with that. I was very interested always in that combination between how do we maintain and improve standards of living for people, the type of technology we have available, whilst at the same time living within our means, absolutely respecting what we're getting from the environment. Yeah, so then I actually wanted to study green chemistry at university. And so that's looking at how we can sort of prevent the use of hazardous substances in a lot of our industrial processes. Unfortunately, that course was cancelled the year I was getting to university. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just do chemistry. I've always been really, really interested in getting to that level of how the world works. So I did a chemistry degree, really, really enjoyed that. Actually did part of my honours project looking at the different chemicals that are used in plastics. And that started to pique my interest. I sort of thought, okay, plastics are a really, really interesting material because they're really useful. And that's why we see their prevalence in society. Amazing material properties, amazing functionality. That's why, you know, we're using the volume of plastics that we are today, but also interesting from the fact that we're not using them appropriately at the moment in our society. So the way we're designing them isn't appropriate and and that's where we're ending up with a lot of waste. Then I started looking at doing my PhD. I thought I want to actually take this leap into the plastics side and I I sort of had this feeling that I kept wanting to get a bit more towards the applied space as well. You know, I really enjoyed the chemistry, but that was actually quite fundamental. I thought getting a little bit more into the engineering side in terms of polymers would keep taking me towards where do you sit at the point where you can actually make changes in society. So, yes, I did a PhD at the University of Queensland uh, working on a bioplastic called PHA. And I thought this was really interesting because it was a plastic produced by a bacteria and from waste products. And then it was also able to be broken down again by that bacteria. During the first year of my PhD, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation published their first report looking at plastics. So it was called The New Plastics Economy, Rethinking the Future of Plastics. And I found this just because I was in the research phase of my PhD, reading a lot of different articles. And I found this report and it just completely changed the way I thought about the system, sort of everything of the way that materials work in our society. And so I I printed this out, read it cover to cover, 
and I guess had never before really thought about how much design plays a role in how a material fits in the system. And so that actually the thinking starts right at the point of deciding to even use a material, put it on the market, what that system looks like. And here, this report was also laying out really like quite a positive story of rather than just engineering the back end of a system. So you've made a product, you've put it onto the market, a user is finished with it. Now let's engineer how to deal with the pile of waste. Here it laid out a really different story of why don't we flip it and right from the start, think about what we're putting onto the market. What characteristics does the product already need to have? Does the packaging already need to have? So that once a user is finished with it, there's already a defined pathway that it's going to be following, whether that is a reuse system or a recycling system, or maybe you've used a material that doesn't even need collection. And I just found that a really positive story and a really positive way to think about it rather than just trying to do less bad in a system that isn't working. <laughs> How do you just actually rethink it from the outset? And that's exactly the style of thinking I like. Over my career journey, I'd already been interested in green chemistry. So yeah, how you eliminate the use of, of hazardous chemicals, biomimicry, how do you learn from what nature is already doing really well, cradle to cradle, which starts to pick up on that. How do you design a product from the outset? And circular economy really takes all of that and turns it into a comprehensive story. So that's how I've ended up at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Just immediately knew that I wanted to come here and, and find out about the thinking that was happening behind the scenes of these reports. Just really being able to think about how the system should work better and from there bring policymakers, big business institutions along on the journey and, and really share that story with them. If we could focus in on plastics, so where do you see the future of plastics heading? So it's a complex one um, and I, I'll, I'll take us through a, a few different routes. So Basically, plastics are going to continue to exist. They're really useful materials, really useful properties. You know, I'll take a perspective specifically of packaging because that's mainly why I focus on plastic packaging and the opportunities that exist there. And so I'll say also my job at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is in the innovation team. So basically, my job is to scan the landscape and use sort of my technical background to understand the types of innovations that we really think are going to be where the future needs to be heading. In terms of where the innovation opportunity and how I think we're going to be changing plastic packaging sits is at this space where we call upstream. So your downstream element of the plastic packaging system is the collection and the sorting and the recycling. Your upstream element is the design piece. So thinking about what materials you use, perhaps what colorants are going into that, the design of the system. Are you looking at a reuse system versus a recycling system? Perhaps even looking at eliminating the packaging if it makes sense either because it's not necessary or because you found a different way to achieve the function so i think the future of packaging is going to be very much still using packaging but thinking and designing the system more smartly from the outset so the way we're thinking about this is along elimination reuse designing for material circulation so really thinking about what is the function that a plastic packaging item serves and then either achieving that function with plastic packaging or achieving it in a fundamentally different way. And I'll give an example that I really like here. So it's called Appeal. It's a startup from the US. Well, I'll, I'll say scale up. They've received a lot of funding and are really progressing at amazing pace at the moment. So they produce an edible plant-based coating for fruit and vegetables with plastic packaging on fruit and vegetables. It serves an important function. It's extending shelf life, which then reduces food wastage. 
as they've gone, okay, we still need to achieve that function. How can we achieve it in a different way? And so this coating gets sprayed onto fruit and vegetables and you then get the same shelf life extension as you did with the plastic packaging, but there's no longer the need for then collection, recycling and that downstream system. Those sorts of innovations are going to be really, really interesting and a game changer thinking about the function of packaging. How do we achieve that differently? Then absolutely reuse is going to become a much bigger space. We know quite a few of the big companies are looking into this and have pilots running in this space. And here I'll say reuse actually offers a lot more opportunity than might initially come to mind to a lot of us. Maybe we think of bringing your own cup to the coffee shop to get a coffee refill. That's absolutely reuse. That's one of the models. But we also look at return models. So where a supermarket or a retailer might actually be owning that packaging and more leasing it out to you. So you buy your groceries, they arrive to your door in reusable packaging, you use it or put that food into your own containers and you then return the container and there's a system that takes care of that and puts it back on the shelves for a user to buy again. Do you think COVID might impact that process of reuse, do you think? I guess here it's interesting where we'll we'll talk about both return and refill models because they're slightly different. So whether a user owns the packaging and goes in and refills something or whether the system owns the packaging and a user just holds it for a little while. In terms of the impact of COVID, you know, I will say there's going to be an impact on absolutely everything and certain reuse models will experience more of an impact. So perhaps, you know, we have seen something like bring in your own coffee cup coffee chains have had to be thinking about that differently. Most of the time, you know, with any reuse system, hygiene is absolutely imperative. And basically this just brings that to the forefront. So rather than completely stalling the system, it's more pointing out specific points for innovation. So where we already see innovation that was existing pre-COVID, but has actually sort of been highlighted as being very important for making these systems run in the long term, there's a startup called Algramo operating in Chile. And so they had already been developing these touch-free systems for refill. So you bring your own container in, but the interface that you interact with is then automated. You just put your container there. It registers that a container is in place and automatically dispenses the liquid. And then you take your container back. So actually sort of those touch-free experiences, which, yes, extremely important now, but actually also important innovation for the future for making these systems really, really easy to use and interact with. And then something like the Loop model. So that is a company, I guess, sort of platform that takes care of the reusable containers for retailers and some of the bigger brands. So there you get the packaging delivered to your door with, you know, any of the products you've ordered from a supermarket, you use that packaging and then you give it back. But they've got extremely good hygiene facilities in place. So actually, they're already all about the washing. How do you get a container sanitized and back to as fresh standard? And they've actually experienced their biggest growth rate during the period of COVID because, again, a shift towards online shopping and online delivery. So so that obviously helped, but certainly showed that the fact that the containers are reusable isn't a barrier to people interacting with them. You just then need to make sure that the correct system and and hygiene systems are in place to ensure a safe product. And we've also seen the same sort of messaging coming out from a variety of different big bodies around the world in terms of absolutely saying reuse can still operate during COVID, just have the correct hygiene systems in place. In terms of thinking about 
ways that we can create this new system and this new way of dealing with plastics and waste. Do you think this also offers an opportunity to create a more just society? There's a few different points here. One is actually any opportunity to take a step back and think about how the system can work better is an opportunity to think about how we bring in all of the different players into that system. And the circular economy basically pushes that from the outset, design how this is going to work rather than just (laughs) operating in the current system that we're in and that we always have been in. I'm going to bring up a specific example here. So Triciclos, a consultant in Latin America, they sort of look at the circular economy principles and, and how can we really think about designing the system so that it works for all of the players. And in Latin America, the informal waste sector serves a really important function. So that's basically all of the waste pickers. Let's say in Australia, our materials go into the yellow-topped bin. That then goes to a facility and that's, you know, a lot of that's automated in terms of the sorting. In some of the global south, a lot of the sorting actually happens manually. A lot of the waste is collected manually. And what waste is there or what materials are there then drastically affect the types of income that all of the waste pickers can earn from their job. So Triciclos, basically, you know, one of the first things is absolutely recognising and valuing the importance of the role that the waste pickers play in the system, recycling and any sort of waste management completely breaks down if they're not working. So it's respecting what they're doing. And then Triciclos actually in the design process, when they're working with a brand and thinking about the design of a piece of packaging, they actually bring the voice of the waste pickers in and talk to them about the types of materials that they would like to be collecting, what actually produces value for the waste pickers down the line. And so brings that voice into the design process. And this is where I just find that power of thinking about the role of design really, really important because you bring that voice in and not only does it make the system work better, the materials can actually flow through it. You're also respecting a very large portion of the population that is relying on this system to create an income. So I think that's a really powerful story of how stepping back, thinking about the system which is what the circular economy advocates, can actually also create better outcomes for the people that live and exist in the system. If we could just shift gears for a minute now and just talk about leadership. So what's it been like being a leader in this space? My first comment here will be I'm still very young. (laughs) So certainly a lot more of my journey to go in terms of becoming a leader to the level that I'd like to be in this space. It's definitely been an eye-opening journey in terms of understanding the complexity of what we're trying to change. Here I'll say in terms of a leader, I think a really interesting thing about the circular economy is that you need lots of leaders and you need all of the leaders working together. So I think that's what's nice about the circular economy as well. It's not about being the leader or a leader. It's really about the whole system needing to work together, everyone needing to collaborate. So maybe you're leading on the thought aspect, which is what the Ellen MacArthur Foundation does. We lead in terms of laying out the vision, laying out the message, really clearly communicating that. But then we need all of the leaders from brands and business to really get involved, understand the message, think about how that adapts and is adapted to their businesses. We need leaders in the policy sphere from the different countries around the world thinking about how you adapt that to the local context, what do you put in place to really support the type of system that we're trying to move towards. You need leaders from the academic sphere working out some of the questions that we haven't thought of or um, you know, maybe that is 
something around fundamental new material development that doesn't happen outside of an academic space. You need leaders from the civil society. How do the people fit into this? How do the people use their voice? So in terms of leadership, that's actually where I want to take the discussion in that it requires leadership from all the different spaces and with that, a very collaborative approach. And I think that's what attracts me to it as well. That must be very difficult (laughs) with all of these leaders. Has there been instances where you've had to balance different opinions or opposing views? Yeah, and I think that happens on a daily basis. Absolutely, you're right. When you've got so many different players together, obviously there's differences of opinion and some decisions are going to affect different actors differently. So will be different considerations there. I think something I've really learnt working at the foundation and coming here during my PhD is the power of a vision. So in the New Plastics Economy Initiative, we've actually set out a very clear vision of where we're trying to head to as the end state and also, you know, some milestones along the way. So some measurable milestones that we want to be hitting by 2025 And so there's obviously a lot of negotiation that goes into setting uh, those milestones and then and really crystallizing and setting in stone the vision. And that's the period where you have the discussions and you take in a lot of different viewpoints, you know, and you obviously adjust as necessary or push back as necessary. But then once you have that vision in place and a really clear story around what you're trying to do to get there and why everyone is in this together and important for us was getting a lot of the major brands, retailers, plastics producers aligned behind this vision, then your conversation becomes easier because we already have this collective point and goal that we're moving towards. So even when there's differences of opinions going forward now, you do have that vision to rest on and to bring people back to in terms of why we're doing certain things, why we're pushing certain viewpoints. That was a really key learning for me, the power of a vision. And even if it seems really ambitious and absolutely what we've set out at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, every single one of those visions around actions is ambitious. The ability to create a story around that vision, get people signed up and committed to it, and then use that as a guiding light for all other conversations. There's definitely power in stories when you want to convince people or motivate people. So what do you see as a big challenge when it comes to trying to help people realise this vision? I've talked a lot about collaboration and whilst that's one of the required ingredients and what's going to get us there, it's also one of the biggest challenges, as you're saying, getting different companies and brands that might not have worked together previously to really sit down together and discuss what the future looks like and and what the specific actions to reach that looks like. Getting all of the different parts of a supply chain in a room and agreeing on actions that each of them are happy to take, even though it will have maybe slight impacts on different parts of the supply chain differently. So getting them all in a room, agreeing on a way forward and being able to have conversations that they probably haven't had previously. Certainly financing is going to be an issue, you know, and is always something that's brought up in that there is a cost to transition to any sort of change or transition. Where we try to 
create certainty is by developing the types of numbers that businesses need to see so that they feel confident in making a transition or a change. We've calculated that there's a potential $10 billion opportunity in moving towards reuse systems. So really quantifying that and starting to show where some of the business potential sits. And the Ellen MacArthur Foundation has also recently launched a finance initiative. So starting to go, yes, absolutely financing the circular economy is a really, really big point to be worked out. How do we get some of the biggest financial and investment institutions behind the circular economy? What can they be doing to accelerate it? And then how does this trickle down to helping, you know, all of the brands to start to move their products and packaging? The getting started, I think, is one of the hardest parts as well. So I was talking about this vision and the story, and you can certainly sell that and it's exciting and you'll get people really keen to get started. And then there's the actual getting started part, the taking action part. And that's certainly hard, but again, we support that in a few different ways. One of the is developing the business case and the business numbers to really help an organization decide, yes, we will pilot this. So we'll we'll then learn something. And because we can see that there is a long-term business potential in it. One of the ways is also through creating connections. So we've seen some amazing initiatives evolve out of a startup partnering with one of the big brands So a startup, you know, these are people that just have amazing ideas. When you're a single person, you can be much more agile in terms of deciding to just get started, learn something. They're also more ready to take on risk, happy to try something that might lead to failure, but might also lead to success. So then partnering those startups that have dared to try something different with one of the big brands who are a bit more averse to risk. And then you can really quite rapidly start to trial things and also scale up really good ideas. Challenges is, is certainly before my time at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, but there's obviously a big challenge in getting everyone firstly signed on to a common vision. And I know there was a lot of work done there, but that was before my time in terms of what that looked like. Could you give us just a brief synopsis of your vision or of the vision of Ellen MacArthur Foundation? So the Ellen MacArthur Foundation was really set up to accelerate the transition to the circular economy. And really, this is structured around three key principles. So it's designing out waste and pollution, keeping products and materials in use, and then regenerating natural systems. And for me, one of the really interesting parts then is this idea of understanding where the opportunity sits in a system to make changes that actually move you to a circular economy. And then we've done a lot of work on quantifying and then communicating the business potential in this shift. I guess it's also, you know, circular economy. It's got the word economy in there for a reason because we actually do think there's a business and an economic potential to making this change, to not just taking materials, using them, and then at their end of life, just having to discard them and not being able to capture any of the value that was there. And then explaining the fact that the potential sits at the start of that system. So again, not at already having gone through using the materials, making something from them, and then trying to finance how we collect them, how we sort them when the material absolutely wasn't designed to go through that system. So really explaining the potential that exists in terms of financial potential, business potential, and then environmental potential in designing out waste from the start. This is that shift in mindset. I think as soon as you explain to most people, it makes sense when you go, would you rather try and deal with a pile of waste 
or would you rather try and prevent that waste from existing in the first place and then you don't have a problem that you're trying to deal with? And I know I certainly found that actually sort of one of the most powerful parts. And again, it, it comes to this not just trying to do a little bit less bad, but actually just trying to shift the system so that you're doing good from the start, so that you're designing it to work. And that's intuitive to a lot of people. And I think it's just never quite been explained like that. When we think about sustainability, it's always just thinking about trying to make things a little bit better. And that vision of what if you just designed it differently? Single use is something that's designed. So you can actually design that out. Waste is something that's designed. You can actually design that out. And that this then offers a whole, you know, let's say in the packaging space, a new host of opportunities to think about how you deliver a product and value to a user and a different way to engage users. So I'll come back to the example I've given of Al Gramo in Chile. They've actually put the shop on a little tricycle. And so you're moving maybe the sales point and the retail point sometimes out of a traditional setting, something like the huge rise in e-commerce, actually taking a circular economy approach can allow you to engage with that in a different way. So an example is Everdrop, so another startup, this one based in Germany, and I think following in the, in the footsteps or, or joining a growing number of startups and businesses looking at making solid products rather than liquid-based products. Everdrop sells little solid tablet versions of home cleaning products. You order that tablet, now integrates really well with e-commerce because you're sending a tiny little tablet through the mail, arrives in a little paper sachet, you put it into your own bottle at home, you fill it up with water and you've got your home cleaning products and I think this is an example of that designs out waste from the start because you're now using a reusable bottle you're not shipping lots of water around the world but it also opens up a new business opportunity so you're now engaging with the user in a different way you've suddenly got access to e-commerce in a much easier manner it's selling the overall vision but also then picking up on these specific examples of where people are already implementing it and you've come up with some interesting business and environmental outcomes that I think helps to sell the story. That's a definitely convincing story and a, a great vision. I can also pick up on the vision for the new plastics economy initiative. So we have set out a specific vision here. So it's a six point vision and this is what all of the organizations that are involved with the new plastics economy initiative have signed on to. And this is certainly around eliminating unnecessary plastic packaging or unnecessary or problematic then also looking at implementing reuse models where appropriate. And then one of the big ones for us and something that we're working towards for 2025 is making sure that all packaging is designed to be 100% reusable, recyclable or compostable. So again, the design element that first needs to come in before another point of our vision, but then making sure that you're actually reusing, recycling or composting it in practice, but connecting that design piece to then actually putting in place the infrastructure to make sure that it happens. Then making sure that we're over time decoupling from the use of finite resources. So this is achieved in a variety of different ways. Certainly using recycled content already immediately reduces the amount of virgin or new material you need to be getting in, but also acknowledging that over time we need to be moving away from a reliance on fossil fuels. And then the sixth point touches on some of the social piece I was talking on before in making sure that the health, safety and rights of everyone involved in the system is respected and that we're not using hazardous substances in any of our packaging. So yeah, this is the six points I think cover basically the pretty broad spectrum of what we're trying to achieve, but that all of the companies have been able to 
sign on to and I think sets a really clear direction and goal. Eliminate unnecessary and problematic, try looking into reuse systems where appropriate, make sure we're designing materials to be reusable, recyclable or compostable, and then make sure we're putting in place the infrastructure and necessary collection systems so that that can happen. Make sure that we're shifting away from a reliance on fossil fuels and make sure that we're respecting everyone that needs to be involved in the system. Last question. What are the top three things in this crazy world that's changing quite rapidly currently (laughs) that are kind of, you're finding, inspiring? Wow. Okay. So the first one that immediately pops to mind is, you know, I live on the Isle of Wight, a small island off the south coast of the UK. Over the lockdown period of the pandemic, someone started up something called the Green Island Veg Economy. And it was basically you planted seedlings. It was coming into vegetable season here. And whatever spare you had, you just put out on your verge side for other people to come and collect. And I have never felt such a sense of community. It was absolutely amazing. And that's what partly got me through, you know, the the period of lockdown. I'm always someone that's happy to get a free plant. Just that feeling of community, I think that's something that really has inspired me over this pandemic period. The Green Island Veg Economy is just one example of that, but I think it's popped up in many other places around the world. And I think it's reminded us how important community is and a feeling of belonging in wherever you are. Mm -hmm. That then really changes our, our relationship and perception to everything else that we're doing in the world. So I think that's a really important thing to have come back in and has actually really inspired me. And, you know, this is just one lady that decided she wanted to give away some plants and stimulate this. And it just went absolutely crazy on the island. Everyone was talking about it. Everyone had plants outside their house. That was the excitement in the day going to pick up your plant because you've seen that someone has put out zucchinis community and humans and our ability to really take care of each other when it comes to it. That's something that's been inspiring me. In terms of something more on the innovation side, so Appeal, this US-based startup, I find that really inspiring because they've just taken a problem of plastic packaging for something like a cucumber not necessarily being recyclable, pretty hard to see how it's going to be, but food waste also being a really big issue, so needing to maintain that function. And they've really thought laterally about how do we solve this issue and just come up with this edible plant-based coating that is now being taken up by the big brands that just launched the cucumbers with Walmart in the US in a hundred stores there and are really going from strength to strength. So I think just that idea of how a small innovation that then gets a little bit of university funding, then backing by some venture capitals that then one of the big brands or retailers takes on and I think truly has the power to change the type of packaging that we use. I found that really inspiring. Trying to think of a third one. You know, I work in the space of innovation and probably overall that's it. Human's capacity to take a problem and think about an interesting solution to it and the variety of different interesting solutions that different people from different cultures, from different contexts come up with. So yeah, I think I'll leave it at that in terms of just then being inspired by our capacity for innovation. And that's absolutely why I work in this space because I find the vision for a circular economy extremely inspiring. But then I love how innovation plays into that and how we can take this vision and then really think about how to do things differently. That's a great three things. Our capacity to care for each other, the ability for a small idea to become something 
massive. And then our ability to innovate. Wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a Liverous Academy podcast with Megan Jones and my guest, Leela Dilks-Hoffman. You can listen to more of these conversations wherever you get your podcast. This podcast was recorded by Megan Jones with production and editing by Daniel C and supported by the University of Queensland.